Welcome to the Orthodox West Gazette, a miscellany of talks, interviews, ponderings, and presentations. I'm Stephen Brannan, and on this episode, I talk with Father Patrick Cardine, priest at St. Patrick Orthodox Church in Bealdton, Virginia, about the seasons of Advent, Christmas, and Epiphany in the Western Rite calendar. We talk about the themes of these seasons, about various traditions associated with the seasons of the year, and I learned something about the song, God Rest Ye Merry, Gentlemen, that I never knew. Enjoy. So yeah, so recently, <clears throat> I think it was uh, one of the, the Christmas Masses, I shared uh, with the congregation that um, a lot of people have been telling me how Advent and Christmas is, is their favorite season, uh-huh. and I stopped to think about it, and I, and I thought, you know, I think that's probably my favorite season as well. Um, but I felt a little odd about admitting that because I, I thought, well, that's not right. Uh, Pascha and Easter should be my favorite season. I mean, that is the, you know, the final victory and consummation of everything. Right. And yet there's something about, something about Christmas that just, you know, it just grabs the heart. You know, there's something there. Uh, there's an intimacy and an immediacy with Christ, um, the Christ child, the, the, the Holy Bambino and something touches us. And I began to sort of wonder about that and think about it. And I wouldn't want to take this too far, but, you know, the resurrected Lord, who we obviously, who is with us and in us and, um, and, and fills us and, and, and we love and we, you know, are close to, but he, what he is now is what we will become. I mean, we are not what he is. We are still on this side of our resurrection. Uh-huh, right. And um, so in some strange way, I don't know, maybe we relate to, uh, you know, the nativity in a way. We're still maybe in that age ourselves, kind of. We have this foretaste of the resurrection through the Holy Sacrament, yeah. the gift of the Spirit. But we're still kind of, we're still in this world of darkness, you know, this yeah. great light has come and shone in the darkness, and now we're lights in the world, and Christ is still being born in us. Um, and so there's still this activity of the Christ child that we're kind of still in that age in a way. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's right. I think there's something to, to the nature of this season that connects to a very down to earth, homey, familiar, Mm -hmm. comfortable part of our hearts. Um, It's, it's the part that is, uh, it's more about the home fire and you know the the family meal and and everything as opposed to the great feast and celebration i mean you know there's there's an element to that uh, but it's uh it has some of the same nature of the celebration of pascha but it is in a different key i think it's a slightly lower mm-hmm. key and it's probably a little more accessible for us to sing in our hearts sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. I, th- I think, I think that, I think that accessibility is kind of what I'm sensing. It's sort of, it's the same way in which our blessed mother is accessible to us. Mm, you know, yeah. we, <clears throat> which is know, why she it, features it, so hev- uh, heavily in Advent and Christmas. It, sure. And you know, this sounds weird to people who have not experienced a deep affection and love for her. You know, maybe haven't grown up, in a tradition where you, there were hymns to her and you asked for her intercession. But 
as she becomes involved in our life in helping us to love Christ, um, this affection, a deep affection and love for our Blessed Mother develops in our heart. Um, and, and we might wonder why, but, um, you know, she's one of us. There's, there's something so intimate about our relationship to her. Um, Christ is God. I mean, yes, he has a human body and nature, will and energy, but he's not, you know, he didn't join himself to a human person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. His person, his person is the eternal son. He is God. Right. Um, you know, who was made man, but he is God. Whereas she, she's one of us, you know, completely, purely one of us. And look what he did for her, (laughs) you know, and, and there she is interceding for us and pointing us to Christ and helping us to love him. So there's a certain, I don't know, a certain intimacy, affection, closeness to to our Blessed Mother and the saints as well. And that sort of relates a little bit to how Christmas, in a way, how we relate to the nativity. And, um, you know, we, at the end of our midnight mass, um, the Christmas mass, we take the little you know the holy bambino the 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 figure mm-hmm. of christ and, and and process back uh to the crash the nativity scene that we have there and we place we place the figure there of the christ child in the nativity scene and um we have prayers that we say before the crash and it, it's wonderful through the whole christmas season uh we have a kneeler there and people will come into the church at various times and before the service or after the services uh, and go back and kneel down and pray and contemplate, um, you know, the great mystery of the incarnation and uh, the eternal God becoming a human baby. Mm-hmm. And it's um, it's just, um, I mean, our whole faith, of course, as Orthodox Christians, uh, hinges on incarnation, death, and resurrection. I mean, that's it. That's the the whole liturgical cycle. Right, right. Hinges on these 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 two. You know, everything else springs out from these two feasts. Right. And um, it's um, it's thinking of that now, you know, we're, as I say, our entire sort of liturgical cycle and year, and in the West, for us, our church year begins at Advent, the, the preparatory season right before Nativity and Christmas. Um, but the entire liturgical year hinges on these two uh, feasts of um, of 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 Easter, Pascha, and his nativity, his birth, and his death and resurrection, and it's interesting to to understand that um, it was pretty. You know, it wasn't until the th- mid three hundreds that um, there was a specific day devoted just to celebrate the celebration of Christ's nativity just of and his, his birth. His birth, right? Yeah. Right, right, because originally, and, and, and I think a lot of people are aware of this, originally his uh, his nativity was sort of grouped in with some other themes from the life of Christ and celebrated on January 6th, mm-hmm. which is, you know, now our Epiphany oh, Theophany. Epiphany, right. Well, yeah, I want to come back and, and talk about Epiphany as sort of the um, uh, the completion of the Christmas season. Um, but, you, you know, you mm-hmm. brought up you brought up how... Christmas is a fulcrum, how it is a central point in the calendar and how there's a season before it and a season after it. And it sort of centers as, as the focal point and all that, um, even as a, you know, comparatively late development, uh, with Christian feasts, uh, taking its own sort of, you know, specific 
character as as the celebration of the nativity itself. So if we can um, just, well, I, I guess I should start by saying Merry Christmas because this is the the first time I've I've gotten to talk <laughs> talk to you during the <laughs> yeah, Christmas Merry, season. Merry so, Christmas! And we sort of just launched yeah. right into uh, what you know the the feeling and and sort of the the character, uh, the weight of Christmas, but. Christmas gets its weight. It's it's supported by a whole lot of um, liturgical, spiritual meat. There, there's a lot going on, and I use that word advisedly uh, because uh, it, in in the East, I think in in some of the Western service books, but especially in the East, uh, there's you know this preservation of the name of Christmas as uh, the celebration of the the incarnation or the nativity of the Lord according to the flesh. So this is a very, mm-hmm. very meaty, very um, right, human, right. very tangible sort of uh, feast. So there's there's a lot to it in in both the East and the West. But uh, given that this is, um, you know, a, a podcast about the Western Rite in the Orthodox Church, and that's both of us are that's the life that we're living liturgically and spiritually. Why don't you talk to us about the season of of Advent, which is uh, peculiar to the West in a lot of its specifics, um, you know, how long it is, when it starts, what it's all about. Sure. So, you know, I think, so just very quickly, so Christmas was, um, the Nativity of Christ was, because Advent followed uh, the establishment of the um you know, December 25th being the celebration of Christ's birth. Right. So that came first, and then Advent came after that, which is the typical way of things in the church. Um, so what happened was, in about the 330s, probably, the 330s, um, roughly, is when the West first separated um, Christ's birth from January 6th and move it back to December 25th uh, to, to give it its own day and really highlight it. And um, this is kind of a little bit of an hypothesis why the church waited so long to have a special day to celebrate Christ's nativity on its own. Um, and, and it could be, at least this could be part of the reason, is because of the danger of, uh, that the church was in in terms of the Christological heresies of defending uh, you know, Christ's uh, eternal divinity. Mm-hmm. And... Um, when his nativity is celebrated along with his baptism, um, you know, as we know in, in his baptism, his eternal divine nature is, and, and relationship within the triune Godhead is, is manifest and revealed. And so these two things are, you know, presented as one whole um, cloth about who Christ is. And some of the, some of the heretics actually used his human birth as a, as a point of accusation that he was not eternally divine. Mm. Um, so, so perhaps the church in her wisdom uh, didn't feel that it was prudent or safe, maybe, or just wasn't time to have a special feast dedicated just to his birth. But once the dogma of Christ's uh, you know, divinity was well-established uh, within the church, then it became a possibility, for example, to do that. I think there's another, this is a little bit, going off on a, a rabbit trail, but I think this is very interesting. Um, and I think it's very important, actually, in the Orthodox world. Um, the same thing, I think, happened with St. Joseph. You know, St. Joseph did not get a tremendous amount of attention in the earlier years. 
um, because obviously the church was wanting to clearly establish Christ's unique birth, his virgin birth without a father, and that he is the eternal um, divine logos uh, and the eternal son of the father. And perhaps emphasizing or drawing too much attention to St. Joseph might obscure or create some confusion or problems. But once our Christology is firmly, you know, established, um, St. Joseph begins to emerge um, as, as much more prominently in the devotional life and in veneration within the church. And I think this is an important thing to, to, to note because, you know, St. Joseph is incredibly important to us and should be important to us. And as soon as it was safe for him to sort of rise in prominence in that way and in veneration, um, he did, and that was a very good thing. But who knows how much that might have to do with, with the Nativity Feast being established, you know, in the mid-fourth century. But at any rate, it was in the West. Mm. And as soon as it was established, as is normal uh, for us, we always have to prepare for, for big, important things. So uh, it soon became obvious that with this great feast of Christ's nativity, we needed a time of preparation. And originally, this, I think the first, um, the first evidence of a fast uh, for, the, for the feast of the nativity began in, in southern France in Gaul. And it was actually um, began on St. Martin's Day on November 11th. Um, and uh, so it was Quadresima, the 40-day fast of St. Martin. And, um, it, you know, it spread here and there. You know, there are different local customs as this, these kinds of things begin to take root. It's not all done homogeneously everywhere. Um, in the East, of course, it's called the uh, Philip, St. Philip fast. Um, for, it begins on St. Philip's Day. In the West, it was St. Martin's Day, and it was about 40 days um, before, uh, before Christmas. It was a fairly penitential fast in, in, in Gaul. In Rome, it was a little different. They had the season preceding um, Christmas that was a bit more joyful and festive than it was in Gaul. But through the years, by, by the mid-400s, you know, um, and some, sometime in the 5th century, Things started to sort of come together and um, and gel into a single practice, which is close to what we have today. Uh, it was pretty early that we had um, the four Sundays of Advent. Um, the third Sunday is, uh, you know, is we sort of lighten up the penitential character uh, a little bit. It's not as penitential as Lent. The fast is only three days a week. And by the way, this was from the earliest days, a very ancient practice in the West. That our Lenten or our Advent fast was only Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. This is not a later development, actually. Um, so, so Advent became these four weeks basically before before Christmas. So, and it's 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 specifically for uh, for Sundays before Christmas. So, if that's correct, if Christmas correct. were on a a Tuesday or a Wednesday like this year um, after that Sunday, then there wouldn't. It's not a full four uh, weeks with you know, you know correct twenty eight days or That's whatever. Right. It's uh, four four Sundays. That's right. And, That's and right. so four the Sundays. liturgical color, um, which we is very coordinated in the West now. Anyway, I'm, was do you know if it was always always the case where this was sort of? A I thing? don't know. I don't know the now. answer to that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know the answer to that. But uh, you're right. It's universally violet now. 
um, except for the third Sunday, which is Rose, <clears throat> which is and, um, 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 that matches sort of a, a, a Linton Sunday as well. There's one Sunday in Lent, um, a little over halfway through, where the color lightens from violet to to rose, and and this right. is sort of a the the liturgics. Uh, change from being, uh, you know, as somber and as um, strict to uh, sort of tones of of joy and hopefulness and and hang in there, sort of right, um, right. And that's you, the case on the third Sunday of Advent as well, right? Right. And and another point that I I I've always find interesting as I'm preparing my sermons for these liturgical seasons is, um, you know, we have Lent, but we have pre Lent, <laughs> so there's three Sundays of preparation, getting ready for Lent, and then Lent getting ready for Easter. Well, we have the same thing in Advent. So yes, it's four Sundays, but it's really kind of five Sundays, mm. because there is the, the last Sunday in Pentecost is not the last Sunday in Pentecost. The name it's of the, that Sunday, the last Sunday before Advent. Right, the Sunday next before Advent, right, yeah. The Sunday next before Advent, and it's the focus of the, the readings and, and, and the gospel and everything for the Mass they are not on Pentecost, they are on Advent. Hmm. So in reality, you really kind of have five Sundays because the, the gospel reading, and this is another thing that people find peculiar, but it says a lot about what, what Advent is all about. Um, <clears throat> I had, in fact, I had a um, cleric a friend of mine from the Eastern Rite. I had invited him to come and preach uh, for us on the first Sunday of Advent. And when I sent him the gospel lesson, he was a little baffled. He's like, what am I, what does this have to do with the birth of Christ? What do I do with this? Um, because as you know, um, the, the last Sunday before Advent and the first Sunday of Advent, both the gospel are um, apocalyptic, um, you know, apocalyptic warning passages from Matthew and Luke about the second coming and the judgment and all of these, you know, dire, you know, terrible uh, events that are going to come upon mankind. And so we begin Advent with really focusing on the second coming of Christ and on judgment. And the word Adventus, um, which means coming, is the Latin which is used um, you know, in, in the Vulgate, um, in the Latin translation of the scriptures for parousia, which is referring to the second coming. So the very title of this season is actually the word that we use to um, refer to in the Latin scriptures to the second coming of Christ. And, and that is the dominant theme at, at the beginning of Advent. And then we, the, the real character, the dominant character for the, the next three Sundays is John the Baptist. Mm -hmm. And of course, John the Baptist is preaching about the coming of, of Christ in judgment. You know, he comes with his winnowing fork in his hand and, um, you know, he's calling for repentance. He's lowering the mountains, raising the valleys, making the crooked straight, calling everybody to, you know, the baptism of repentance so that they can receive the coming king, the coming, the, you know, the kingdom and the coming of the Lord. Um, so, so this whole theme of, of coming, of the coming of Christ, we begin, we begin with focusing on the judgment. We begin with focusing, focusing on the eschaton, the mm. last things. And by us giving attention to our final judgment and in a sense preparing our hearts, being sort of realizing there is going to be a reckoning and how we live our lives today 
um, you know, we live in the light of that final judgment. Yeah. And and living living with uh, you know soberly and circumspectly um, by drawing our attention to that, then when the nativity feast comes around by the end of Advent, the idea is that we are prepared to receive the Christ child, like our hearts are ready. You know, the Jews were not ready. They didn't recognize him. They didn't recognize their own Messiah. Um, you know, a great light came into the darkness, and their hearts were not prepared uh, adequately to recognize him. So, you know, if we don't adequately fear the judgment, we will not be prepared to receive, you know, the Christ child for him to be born in us. And um, so Advent just is a beautiful, powerful season to bring us to the place of really entering into the Christmas joy because it's asking us to think about our judgment and the end. I think Advent has become for me one of my, we were talking about how this, this time of year really can impact uh, one as as they go through all of the services of the church. And because of that dual nature of Advent, of looking forward to, um, with, with a, you know, a degree of, of dread and uh, fear of, of one, the state of one's own soul, but looking forward to the second coming of Christ as a spiritual preparation for the, you know, getting ready to celebrate the first coming of Christ, the first Advent right. of Christ. And there's this dual character to the season of Advent that is just, it's hard to describe unless, you, unless you've unless you gone through the season uh, several mm-hmm. times and kind of right, get acquainted right. with all the services, all of the, uh, all of the Psalms and the antiphons and the, you know, poetry, the teachings uh, of the church fathers that are read in the, in the office of the church. And it's just a remarkable time. The, the aesthetics of the season impact me greatly. Um, it's just, it's a beautiful, beautiful time. I, and you know, I love it. I'm always struck by, um, how similar in tone a, a lot of Advent is to the, the bridegroom services of the Eastern Rite, um, mm-hmm. just before, you know, Pascha. There's, there's a mm-hmm. lot of the same sort of thematic elements mm-hmm. in terms mm-hmm. of the preparation of the Perusia. Um, so, you know, in, in, I can't remember if where in the actual liturgical services of the church, if that sort of image, the, the, the preparation of the wise virgins versus the foolish virgins, yeah. if, if that's, if that's a reading anywhere. Um, but I think that theme does pop up in a lot of the hymns that we sing um, yeah, in, it, in it's it's season. most definitely an Advent theme is having yeah. your your lamps prepared and oil in your lamps, and it's all about being prepared uh, for 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 the coming of Christ. So that is a, a theme in the readings and the hymnography. You know, we um, I love what you said about the aesthetics. There, you know, um, <laughs> beauty. Uh, Christ took form, and God takes form. I mean, we're not Gnostics. And we, we, we understand sacramentally that God comes to us and manifests himself through beauty and through form. Um, and, and there is something to be said about the aesthetics for this whole, this whole season. And it, it just speaks to our hearts and it grabs you in a way that you can't really always articulate. You just, 
it's from living it and going through it. And like, like you said, you really have to, you really have to engage this season for three, four, five years, really faithfully to, and it begins to work its way into you and you develop in a, in a sort of a, an emotional memory uh, from the prayers and the hymns. And for example, we did, um, I think we had six Rorate masses uh, in a row uh, the week leading up to um, to Christmas. And the Rorate mass, Rorate, um, drop down ye heavens from above and let the skies mm. pour down righteousness. This is, and of course, we think of the word who leapt down out of heaven. <laughs> another one of the great phrases uh, from Advent. But this Mass, which is uh, a Marian um, devotional Mass in anticipation of the birth of Christ, it's, um, it's, it's popular and we, you know, to have these early morning uh, Masses before, the dawn, before dawn in the right. darkness uh, of night, and we do it all in candlelight. Um, you know, and uh, the people come in, you know, we, we have ours at 6 a.m., and it's um, we finish before before the sun, just as the sun's beginning to rise, and um, and we fill the church with candles, and it's very quiet, and the mass is very solemn and um, quiet and contemplative, and it's very beautiful. Um, but these have become these masses have become just treasured opportunities. I w- this year we had um, we had really great attendance at all of these, and we had them every day. Uh, the week leading up to Christmas, um, they were very beautiful. But things like that, you know, there's lots of things and little traditions, and some of them are, you know, liturgically, you know, traditional and have been, and some of them are just customs, you know, and yeah, they're, yeah. you know, they're not, they're not strong liturgical items, but they're they're just customs that we enjoy that enrich our experience. I mean, we mm-hmm. we we have an Advent wreath which is not liturgical at all. <laughs> I mean, it was borrowed by Lutherans and I think in the 1700s. Um, but I know of a lot of Eastern Rite churches who put an Advent wreath in just to mark the weeks leading up to Christmas. And it's, it's a, you know, it's a nice thing to do. I mean, we, right. yeah. we, we, we came up with a very creative way to install ours in our church. It hangs from our Coro's chandelier. Oh, brilliant. And uh, so it's, um it's subtly in the church, you know, it's, mm-hmm. um, but it's there and um, hanging over people's heads, and we light That's the wonderful. candle each week. We um, it, it, we we also have an Advent wreath, and it's uh, you know we it's it's extra liturgical. Uh, so we we have some prayers that we use, and um, you know everyone is is gathered uh, when we're doing it, but it's not part of our uh, our divine service or anything like that. But it's you know it's it's a way to sort of start gathering everyone in, in their attention, uh, in, in preparation mm-hmm. for the divine services that we're going to be, um, doing. And we also have at the beginning of Advent, we already have a, a tree set up, uh, you know, what mm-hmm. looks like a Christmas tree, but we actually have little icons of the ancestors of Christ, um, oh, wow. that's, that's uh, idea. put throughout the tree, you know, starting at the bottom with the, the older ancestors and leading up all the way, sort of culminating in, in, uh, John the Baptist mm-hmm. and, and uh, the Virgin Mary at the very top, uh, and it sort of takes the, uh, it, you know, we, we're taking a cue from the old uh, Jesse tree icons um, mm-hmm. coming from that mm-hmm. Isaianic uh, passage uh, regarding the the tree of uh, the root of Jesse and and sort of the 
ancestry that follows after Jesse. Um, it's, you know, St. Ambrose comments on it and it's, that's a, that's a very uh, Advent thematic sort of passage of scripture that, that gets read. And of course there's, there's mm-hmm. one of the um, uh, antiphons that we sing with the Magnificat in the days leading up to Christmas Eve uh, a set of antiphons, um, I think in the service books, they're called the Great Antiphons, but they're more colloquially known as the O Antiphons because they all start with O, you know, uh, uh-huh. Root of right. Jesse and, and some some title of Christ. And so that's that's one of them. So we call it our Jesse tree. I don't, I don't know if mm-hmm. any other parishes do the exact same thing, but, you know, it's all kind of related. And it does give churches the ability to sort of um, creatively um, adapt and use... These customs, a lot of which, for us in America anyway, come from Western Western Europe and, and you know, either mm-hmm. English or German or Scandinavian or, you know, French. Right, right. Uh, the Noel or, or Italian. Yeah, a lot of these customs, um, I, it's kind of funny, I just watched Rick Steves' uh, European uh-huh. Christmas special the other night and... Um, you know, it's there's it's just there's there's wonderful wonderful traditions that are um, just completely compatible with the church's liturgical practice of the season of Advent. Sure. So that's you know it's it's another reason to sort of just love the the aesthetics of of the season and and sort of mm-hmm. let it as as a whole as as a as a whole cloth like you said sort of get into your heart and and spread over your heart and, and cast a certain a certain color and light over over your your heart, your mind, your emotions for the season, and it is uh, it's it's effective. It really does work. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and we 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 um we have Advent devotions that our families do at home. Our families will light up wreath at home each night, and the parents and the kids will sit around the table and read a passage of scripture and sing part of O Come Emmanuel, which a lot of people would be familiar with, is basically the O Antiphons put to music. Uh, in part, and so we do that, and uh, something we do at St. Patrick's every year, which has become really uh, a, a wonderful, meaningful thing for us, is we do lessons and carols. Mm-hmm. And again, this is not this is not a liturgical service. Uh, we are getting together, um, and the choir has prepared um, quite a few pieces of music, some of which they do as specials, and some of which the whole congregation sings together. And they are interspersed with nine um, nine passages, readings from the scriptures, uh, both Old and New Testament. And all of the readings are focusing on prophecies of the coming Christ and Messiah and uh, and his nativity and birth. So these are sort of Advent-themed, uh, looking forward to Christmas um, this night. But it we uh, this has become you know one of our favorite things to do every year and that's uh, so meaningful and so helpful in terms of preparing us it's also become a, a terrific opportunity for a lot of people from the community um, who maybe aren't orthodox to come and experience being in an orthodox church and of course all the music that we do is uh, definitely the same music that we're doing on Sundays and in our normal um, liturgical services, but mm-hmm. um, it's sort of special. So they're they're able to experience that, and it's a great entry point for for a lot of people to to, to come to the church. So yeah, it's um it's a it's a wonderful season, and very grateful we get to uh, experience it in such a full full way. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's uh, like like I said. I think it's it's probably just about my favorite season on the church calendar now, um, which is it, it's a little strange. Like you're not going to meet too many people that say Lent is my favorite season, um, <laughs> but Advent, even though it is a uh, a fasting season, it's a moderated fasting season, and um, you know, like you said, we we in the Western Rite fast on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays during it. But um, because of all those just special, both liturgical and extra liturgical sort of just traditional things that we do, there's the the whole effect of the season is uh, is one that's that's pretty special to me. And you know, it's extra special. My my home parish is actually called uh, the Church of the Advent. That's our name. You know, our, our titular feast is one of the Sundays uh, during the season, and we uh, we were received en masse in our parish on the third Sunday, um, Gaudete Sunday, Rejoice Sunday, with the, the rose color and everything of the vestments oh, and the, wow. uh, everything. So that's, you know, we, we in our in our own living memory, Advent is a special mm-hmm. season for us. So it's, um, it's that's pretty mar- wonderful. That's but, marvelous. That's marvelous. That's wonderful. Thank God. But yeah, like, you know, this the the season in itself is not the the end it all of it is pointing toward uh what's coming and yes. there's there's the dread coming of Christ and all of his glory when uh, all of our secret things will be exposed and our hearts had better be ready or else um so there's there's that aspect of it then there's the the wonderful you know, beautiful, comforting coming uh, that we're looking forward to of, of the Christ child, helpless, quiet, beautiful, humble, um, disarming, you know, there's both of those. Mm-hmm. And then there's the coming right. of Christ in, in the Holy Sacrament, um, the, mm-hmm. the sacrament of his body and blood of which we partake. And all of those sort of are um, aspects of, of the season and, and they all sort of goad us forward and so mm-hmm. um on the calendar anyway of course the thing that they goad us forward to is is christmas so mm-hmm. uh that's that's where we are now well, we are in the season well, of christmas right you know it's interesting the way you phrased that the three the three ways in which christ comes correspond um interestingly enough to three masses the three christmas masses now this is this just came up recently with some uh, Orthodox friends of mine who were shocked that we have three masses um, essentially all on the same day. Mm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this is very unusual for an Eastern Rite, as far as I know. I don't know if they have a situation like this. We, of course, have this both at, at Pascha and at Christmas. There are three prescribed masses. And and some people thought um, this was they were prescribed because there were such large numbers of people they needed to have extra masses so more people could could receive communion but that is in fact not not necessarily the case in fact our people are encouraged uh you know if if they're in a church that are celebrating all three masses they're encouraged to come and receive communion at one or all three of the masses um and and this developed fairly early on but the masses sort of have different emphases um and the first the first mass that a lot of people refer to it as the midnight mass even though mm-hmm. in the in the in the rubrics and the ceremonial it never says midnight 
it just emphasizes that it needs to be in the middle of the night at some in the, point in the dark. Right, yeah. And yeah. um in in fact it probably was originally closer to um 3 a.m. because it re it references the cock crow. Mm -hmm. And in Spain they still refer to it as the mass of the cock crow, um anticipating the you know the rooster crowing early in the morning. But at any rate you had the midnight mass. Actually it started in in Rome uh it was fairly small in a, in Rome when this mass started. There was in a chapel, um, Pope Sixtus the Third um, had an oratory, and he had built a manger there, which was basically a replica of the crib at Bethlehem. And um, he would celebrate the mass there in the, in the middle of the night. And it was a small oratory, so there couldn't be a lot of people um, present. Um, so a few people would be there. Um, and then they would go to St. Peter's later the next, you know, in, in the daytime and, and celebrate Mass there with large crowds. But interestingly, um, on the way uh, to St. Peter's in the middle of the night after the midnight Mass, um, they started adding um, an intermediate Mass at a chapel that was dedicated. This was, this was actually um, the, the palace church of the Byzantine governor in Rome. And it was a chapel dedicated to Saint Anastasia, who was a, a saint who she she was from the east and she died. Um, her her birthday into heaven was on December twenty fifth, and her relics had been translated from Constantinople to Rome, uh, and there was a Byzantine palace church there, and her relics were uh, were there interred at the at the at the Byzantine church, and so the the bishop of Rome would stop between the midnight mass and the daytime mass and they would say another mass at this church and um she of course was commemorated at this mass but this became the the second of the three nativity masses um that that are said and still prescribed to this day and this was this practice began um very early you know i mean Within a hundred years, all three masses were being said. Within a hundred years of when the nativity feast was started, mm. so um, in in the four hundreds, yeah. So, so these three so, masses are a little confusing to pe to people because um, in the East, that you know, there's a strict rule that you can only receive communion one time in a day, in a twenty four hour, you know, in a day for for right. for a particular, you know, feast. Whereas you know, in our right. Um, we are actually have an opportunity in this case to have three different uh, communions for for one feast, and that's uh, twice a year for for Christmas and yeah. Easter. For for Christmas that, and Pascha, yeah, for yeah. Easter. So um, it's it's a little unusual. Another little interesting thing we we began our conversation by saying Merry Christmas, and um, I love I love the phrase Merry Christmas, and some people might think it, it's um, you know oh have a happy you know have a happy Christmas, and that's not at all what it means. Um, Merry doesn't mean happy. Um, Merry means blessed or peaceful, hmm. and you're you're it's it's you're what you're it's kind of like Merry Old England, you know uh, may England be blessed by God with peace, uh, and and so this there's a a carol that people are probably familiar with, God rest you, merry gentlemen. Um, and this is an example of the, the real meaning of Mary. Um, and if you pay close attention to where the comma is in this, it actually changes the meaning. The carol is not saying, 
to gentlemen who are happy. God rest you, happy gentlemen. Um, but it's actually pronouncing a blessing of peace upon them. So it should be read as in, may God rest you peacefully, comma, gentlemen. Gentlemen. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> right. So um, that's a good example of what Mary, when we say Merry Christmas, means. Um, may God uh, rest you peacefully, gentlemen. Not, not that I doubted you, but I, I did want to confirm this for myself, and I just went to Wikipedia, and, uh, and sure enough, there, there we have it. God rest ye merry, comma, gentlemen. <laughs> so that's <laughs> yeah. uh, that's pretty that's pretty great um which yeah. it, 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 you mentioned then you know in in england that's sort of you know merry old england kind of the, where it came from but uh n- nowadays ironically the phrase is happy christmas in england uh which is oh uh, really we hold, we, yeah we won't count that against them but uh if, if you go and watch uh the queen uh god bless her uh her her christmas messages that she delivers every year she uh she always concludes with happy christmas so uh to our english brothers and sisters happy christmas but um, <laughs> maybe you should consider uh bringing back bringing back the mary oh that's interesting huh so well, anyway yeah. uh, fun fact so yeah yeah so so christmas yeah we have that we have the, and then christmas week um is is it just gets better and better um christmas week for us becomes you know, the whole season of Advent, the three masses of Christmas, the Rorate masses before Christmas, and then you, you have the three masses of Christmas, great, joyous, festive celebration. But then there are three, um, three masses in Christmas week that are very poignant, very important, very, very much a part of this whole season and, and, and the whole feeling of this season. They're, um, incredibly, um, you know, you, they're they're just a part of the whole thing, and the and the three masses that follow, um, which today today is um, Boxer Day or Saint Stephen's Day. Uh, is your it name Boxer is or Boxing? Boxing Day, Boxing. Okay, day, so sorry. well, they, not, they actually can be referred. It can referred to as both. I've heard it referred to as it's Boxing Day. Okay, Boxing Day. Sorry, just I'm making sure we weren't that. talking Box- about. Uh, uh, the gift of underwear that you know so many of no no. They, no it was called Boxing Day because in England they would um, collect money throughout this season and put it in a box a locked box and um, on on Saint Stephen's Day because Saint Stephen was a deacon who took care of the poor and his association with ministering to those in need service, uh, they would break right? open the service they would break open the boxes and take the money and and go and and purchase things or you know give the money to the poor. And so hmm. this became a day, um, you know, of breaking open the boxes with all the money they collected, um, and that's where. It and this is uh, this is the day that Good King Wenceslas uh, went out on the feast of Stephen, right? That's right. Uh, and to, it's referred to, to in his carol, oh. right? And his um, the the wonderful John Mason Neal carol. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, it's all, all, and, also another important day because uh, this is my patronal uh, feast day, my name day. My patron is Saint Stephen, so of a particular uh love for for this day um and in my parish we we actually collected uh throughout the season of advent uh, we set aside portions of our you know shopping budgets to to buy supplies and goods and clothing for uh, the less fortunate and and today we as a as a parish made a donation to a local uh charity uh today and, and oh, it's wonderful. it was very very specific uh, that we delivered those 
today on the on the feast of Stephen to emulate mm. uh, the service of of that saint and of you know good good King Wenceslas and uh, obviously of of their master uh, our our Lord Jesus. That's so, wonderful. Yep. Yeah. I love we, this day. Um, and of course he's a he's a proto martyr. So you know it's what's very interesting about these three feasts. So you've got you've got Saint Stephen's Day, the proto martyr, um, where he demonstrates you know as the first one what it means to give his life for Christ. Mm-hmm. And 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 this is this is in the midst of the joy we're celebrating. We're in red. We're celebrating a martyr um who who was martyred his life was taken for his testimony um and it's in the joy of christmas the juxtaposition of these these things is is brilliantly sort of woven throughout this week um because the next feast for tomorrow is saint john's day the apostle and again he he had the will of a martyr um you know there are three kinds of martyrs celebrated this week saint stephen who had um, who had both the um, the will and the love of the martyr and the blood of a martyr? Saint John had the will and the love of a martyr, but he was not actually martyred. Um, and then uh, the third feast on the twenty eighth is the most striking, I think, one of the most striking feasts of all the year, and that is the feast of the Holy Innocents. Um, and the children that were uh, murdered by um, the wicked Herod, uh, one of the most wicked human beings to ever walk the face of the earth. And um, to celebrate St. Innocent's Day, and we have Mass all three of these days. Uh, tonight we'll, we'll have Mass for St. Stephen, and we, we'll say a special litany for, uh, for St. Stephen at Mass. Mm-hmm. Um, and t- tomorrow for St. John's, it's traditional to bless wine, so everybody will bring a, a bottle of wine tomorrow and, and we'll bless wine um, and, and they'll take it home and we'll have some there we'll, to share uh, tomorrow night. And then at Holy Innocence, um, we, um, and this is just a local thing. I don't think there's any tradition here. It's just what we do, but we have some roses um, there uh, for the Feast of Holy Innocence. And after um, Mass, the people will go visit the creche uh, with the nativity scene, and they will place a rose in the crash and pray for, especially for um, children that they know who have died. And we, we actually have um, a couple of children buried in our cemetery, and of course a lot of our parents have lost children. So uh, when you begin to realize that there's a lot more um, people who have lost children than you might think, actually, um, it's pretty common. So this has become a very meaningful thing for our people to to, to uh, say prayers and to remember the children on, on this great feast of the Holy Innocents. Um, and the church refers to them as martyrs, uh, martyrs indeed, um, maybe not in will because they were too young to have a will, but uh, somewhere it says that God supplied what was lacking in their will by his acceptance of their sacrifice. And we we refer to them as martyrs who testify um mm. you know of christ and you know this the, the church is extremely bold in this feast it's it's and very deft in the way she handles it because it is both there's just it's a very hard thing to celebrate yeah, uh, this yeah. event yeah. this how, event how do you how do you mark that how does 
and, and you know, and there's obviously so much in in the liturgics and, and the prayers. You have the mass, you have the service, but what what do you do to bring people's yeah, it, hearts into conformity with with that mass that you're celebrating? How do you well, well how do you make it, it work? It's bold. It's bold. Is what it is. And when I preach this feast. Um, you know, it comes out in the preaching, it comes out in the prayers and the hymns. I'm going to, I'll share with you a couple lines from the office hymn for this feast, which is incredibly, it, it, it's an incredible um, hymn. Hail ye infant martyr flowers, cut off in life's first dawning hours, as rosebuds snapped in tempest strife, when Herod sought your Savior's life. You tender flocks of Christ, we sing, first victims slain for Christ your King, beneath the altar's heavenly ray, with martyr palms and crowns ye play. So there's this image of course, there's a doxology at the end. There's this image of the children beneath the heavenly altar, where the martyrs, of course, are, as we read in John's Apocalypse. But they are playing with their uh, martyr palms and crowns. Of course, the palm and the crown, the sign of the martyr. And these children are, are, are playful. Um, They're beneath the altar, having been, in a sense, martyred not by will, but their sacrifice is received wow. as the sacrifice of murder by God. And um, it, it's just, um, it's a stunning, yeah, a stunning experience. And um, we keep this feast every year. And as I said, we have a cemetery here. We have um, uh, several young infants um, that we lost and very, very difficult for the community. Um, but our faith in the resurrection, I think, in some ways is made most pronounced at this feast um, in, in this, just holding these two oh, extreme yeah. things together. Um, um, that is yeah. just something that, that the, the world outside of our church just has, it has nothing to offer similar to that. I mean, that's, that's completely no. unique to our faith. And no, no, it, it's, th- yeah. th- they would be scandalized by it actually. Um, you know, how, how is this even possible uh, for you to find any sense of hope in, in the face of something so horrific? And yet we do, because Christ is risen, and um, we, uh, we do have hope. And the church preaches this. You know, the lessons for this feast in the office, the daily office, of course, Matins has lessons attached to it, and many of the lessons are taken from um, sermons by the fathers. But one of the lessons for this feast is taken from a sermon um, from St. Augustine. And to, to read this sermon is just incredible. I, I mean, he faces this tragedy with the hope of the resurrection in such a bold proclamation. So it's um, it's incredible um, that um, in this season, when we're celebrating the birth of Christ, we've got examples of the 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 fallout from the Prince of Peace coming into the world and this fallout is anything but peace. It's, it's violence and martyrdom right. and death and, and blood. And, uh, 
it is, you know, just this crazy juxtaposition between the birth of a baby and the death of uh, the death of the saints. But like you said, there's, there's obviously, you know, this isn't after the fact we're the church celebrating this, this isn't new to us. And so the joy of the resurrection infuses everything, including the very beginning Mm -hmm. of, uh, of the birth of, of the Lord into the world. We know, we know the resurrection overtone. We know uh, as he's born in a cave, Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not the last time he'll enter a cave or come out of it. So there's uh, there's this wonderful sense in in the Christmas right. season that is, um, you know, I, I grew up Protestant and uh, Southern Baptist, which doesn't follow a liturgical calendar aside from marking Christmas and Easter, <clears throat> and so I didn't know what all. Mm-hmm the Christmas season historically included. These feast days are just astounding um, to, you know, following after the birth of Christ. And um, and then, you know, in, in also within this season is the the circumcision of, of the Lord on the octave of Christmas. Um, you know, the first time that uh, blood is drawn from, from our Lord. Um, and so there's even that, I think, kind of continues the theme of uh you know the the inevitability the necessity of of blood being drawn before before that resurrection you know fulfillment happens right. with uh what we're anticipating throughout the season of advent in the second and glorious coming of the lord yes he was born to die and you know this christmas week as i said it's, uh, we we've talked about this but um this whole week we have three, in a sense, martyrdoms the, uh, of Stephen, John the Apostle, who was not literally martyred, but martyred by will and love, and then the, the Holy Innocents. And these are the three days of Christmas week, three great feasts uh, of this week coming on the heels of the great, you know, joy to the world, the Lord has come, <laughs> peace on earth, goodwill toward men. You know, when I preach on Holy Innocence Day, I always refer to this, you know, peace on earth, goodwill to men, and here we are commemorating the slaughter of the holy innocents three days later. Uh, it, it's a bit shocking uh, to the system, but um, it, it perfectly expresses, as you have said, uh, what it means to be a Christian in this world, um, this world that still is riddled with darkness and corruption and mortality and death. Um, we, we taste of the resurrection. We have a foretaste, but we are still coming into the light and our salvation is is yet to be um, you know, brought to its consummation in our resurrection. And so, you know, Christ said, in this world, you will have trouble. Um, but be of good cheer. <laughs> I have overcome the world. Um, for us, you know, everything is a win-win. There is no, you know, if, if we're, if, if things go well, we're great. If things go terrible, great. I mean, everything is a win-win for us because Christ is risen. And, and that's the constant message of the gospel. And the constant message that we have to cling to and um, walking through all of these things reminds us of that. You know, it's interesting you brought up the uh, Feast of the Circumcision, which, as you said, it, it lands, of course, according to Jewish law, eight days later, um, the male child would be circumcised. And so it, it happens to land when, when Christmas was established on December 25th. Um, then the circumcision, the feast of the circumcision would um, just mm-hmm. automatically yep. land eight days later on January 1st. 
And so just on a local level here, I deal with this because I talk to my people about, you know, they're up late the night before. I mean, I don't think our people are out carousing too much, but, um, you know, they might be up late. And we talk about how this is this is an important feast day. This is associated with, um, you know, with Christmas. Mm -hmm. We're still in the Christmas season. It's the octave. And we need to be, you know, it's fine to, you know, celebrate, you know, New Year's and all of that. But our focus needs to really be on on the liturgical, you know, culture and what's happening liturgically in our worship with God. And um, so it's sort of a re replay of what was going on um, in the early church, dealing with New Year's and circumcision and Christmas. We're still dealing yeah, with the same yeah, thing today. That, I guess it's a, a perennial thing, and uh, it's it's a good thing that the the service is is still there, and and pastors are still working to. Um, yeah, do you know, do the pastoral component that I mean, the, the services of the church, uh, aren't anything without, without the, cl the clergy there to, um, well, to celebrate them, but also to contextualize them, to, to make them make sense, to offer them yeah. to the people, uh, in their immediate flock. So, yeah. And it's, it's actually pastorally, it's been, and it's, it's been exactly that situation because we have mass that day and our people are generally pretty faithful about, um, you know, coming to mass and things. It has, it has enabled them to use that as, that as an opportunity to keep their focus on, you know, their faith, even, even mm -hmm. in the new yeah. year celebration. So um, it's pretty interesting. It's uh, it it doesn't. It's difficult to uh, sort of advertise advertise that one. Hey, bring in the new year uh, by coming to church and celebrating circumcision. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it gets it gets a few raised eyebrows to people. That you are really not do have to contextualize <laughs> contextualize that one a good bit. Yeah, um, yeah that's so, true. Uh, and then there's the holy the name giving and, and you know, there. Are, yeah, so there's a lot of layers to that. It's actually a pretty rich feast. Oh, it is. And this is this is when the child was named in the East. Um, my understanding is in the Eastern um, liturgical um, feast that the, the name giving the name of Jesus, a holy name is emphasized on on the on January 1st. For us, we actually added an extra day so that we could really give a lot of attention just to that. So um, the feast of the holy name is is actually on January 2nd. Um, in concert with, uh, with, with the circumcision on January 1st. Um, so, so we have the feast of the Holy name on January 2nd, but yes, it's a, it's a great feast and, uh, it's, it's, it's nice to be a little, I don't know, a little edgy, <laughs> you know, uh, we're going to, we're going to celebrate the feast of the circumcision people out in the world. They hear that and they're like, Oh my God, what in the world is that all about? What? <laughs> uh, it gives us an opportunity to have a conversation about Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, yeah, work it to your advantage. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and then, well, um, and then, um, all of this finally culminates. Well, I say finally. I, I guess there's something else that sort of finally caps off the entire cycle of Christmas. But really, the twelve days of Christmas that, that we're familiar with, the Christmas tide season, right, uh, culminates in Epiphany. And you mentioned uh, earlier uh, the sort of the layers of uh, embedded in. In Epiphany, in Epiphany Tide, um, can you just describe what what that looks like for us as well? Sure, sure. So Epiphany, January sixth. Um, this this feast uh, is first established in the East, and then it comes to the West shortly thereafter. 
And, um, and then as we talked about before, uh, the nativity of Christ gets broken out and moved back to December 25th. In the East, the emphasis is on the baptism of Christ. Of course, it's, it's referred to as theophany instead of uh, epiphany, but they're essentially the same same basic meaning. And theophany is just a word that means the revealing of God. That's right, an epi- and epiphany. It, epiphany is, is a more generalized word, just meaning a, a revelation. Revelation or manifestation. Um, manifestation, okay, yeah. Yep. So, um, but yeah, so, there, and you know, we could get into the history of why the baptism and the, and the nativity of Christ, but the in the East, they're, they're dealing with um, adoptionism, um, where it was um, the, the heretical view that Christ became divine. He was adopted into the triune and into the Godhead um, at his baptism. And uh, so in the, in the Epiphany feast, his nativity and his baptism being linked together uh, was sort of uh, a re- refutation of this uh, heretical idea of adoptionism. Mm. Um, but in, and so, so to this day, the East maintains the main theme on the sixth is baptism. In the West, um, Epiphany actually became sort of like a couplet with, it became an extension of the nativity, and the emphasis was on the the, the Magi, um, who later came to be called the three kings. It doesn't say that they are kings um, in the scriptures, but there is a tie in there to um, some of the prophecies in the Old Testament of the kings of Tharsis uh, and the isles shall be glad in coming to worship um, uh, you know, the Messiah. So there was this association and they came to be thought of as kings. We don't know how many there were, of course. Um, the Bible doesn't say, but there are three gifts. And eventually there was the tradition uh, of, of referencing the three kings or the three magi, the three wise men. And, you know, they were probably, they were somewhere from maybe Persia. They were probably Zoroastrian priests, it's been suggested, but um, holy men of some learning in science, mathematics, and that sort of thing, um, but also with some sacred, uh, you know, sacred tasks as well. Um, but this became the dominant um, theme for January 6th in the West, which was sort of an extension of Christmas um, themes. And in the East, uh, the three Magi are still um, referenced in the liturgy on Christmas. Whereas we give a whole day, whole day to that at Epiphany. Um, the other, yeah. but the other thing I did notice. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I, I just I, I did notice that on the uh, I think it's the the mass the last mass of Christmas the mass during the day um, the the first the prologue of Saint John's Gospel is the the gospel passage for the mass in the lectionary. Yes. Uh, which means that that usually in in our Western liturgy is is read as sort of a, a, a communal devotion at the end of mass. It's it's our it's the final gospel. Right. But on this particular day, since it's read liturgically as the mass gospel, it's replaced by uh, a, another passage from the gospels, which actually uh, does does mention. Uh, concludes with the the visit of the Magi. So yes, uh, I th- I believe even in our Western liturgy, uh, the Magi do get a mention on uh, on Christmas Day as well. That's correct. So I found yeah. that interesting. Yeah, that's correct. And 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 there's there's numerous times throughout the year, a few times when John um, one is the gospel lesson, and so on those on those days when that is the gospel lesson, instead of reading it at the end. Um, the last gospel is replaced, um, or if a Sunday is bumped by another feast, we read the Sunday gospel 
um, at the end is the last gospel. But um, well, I, I interrupted you um, about yeah what you were saying about um, Epiphany, the the various sure layers. sure. So there are there are there are three major themes um, to the Epiphany tide or season. The Epiphany has an octave, and the three the three themes. Um, you know, the same East and West, they're just kind of expressed differently and maybe on different days, but the themes are pretty much the same. The three themes are for us, Three Kings Day, or um, which is the focus of Epiphany, the gifts of the Magi, uh, and then the wedding of Cana and the baptism. And you see these three things, this triad of themes um, uh, of uh, coming, showing up all over the place. Lots of our hymns and references and antiphons and the office readings. It's always these three things. It's it's the it's the Magi, um, the miracle at Cana, and the baptism. And the baptism we reading is on um, the octave day. Um, so so these are the three the three major themes that are associated with Epiphany. But for us, right. Epiphany Day, um, there is something that is notable, I think, and unique to point out in terms of sort of the hermeneutical key. Uh, to what the actual feast of Epiphany on January 6th becomes for us in terms of emphasis. Um, the, the, the Magi coming and bringing these gifts, the whole theme of this is um, the Gentiles coming uh, to Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and this becomes, and even the Nunc Dimenis, you know, the song, the, the, the Gentile shall right, come to right. thy light. This, this is the theme of, of Epiphany. And that all the kingdoms of the world and all the nations of the world will come to the mountain of the house of the Lord. And, um, you know, our collect for that day speaks of, you know, on this day by the leading of a star, thou manifest thy only begotten son to the Gentiles. And, um, and, and the, the epistle lesson is from, is from um, Isaiah, Isaiah 60, uh, speaking of the, the, the light of God shining through the darkness that covers all the peoples of the earth and nations coming to the light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. And so there's a, this, the real emphasis of this day is, is the gospel and the light of Christ going out, you know, past the, the, the chosen people, the Jews, to the Gentiles and the pagans and all nations of the earth. And it really becomes, and I'm that, that, um, that passage that I mentioned, um, referring to them as kings, comes from Psalms. The, king, right. the kings of Tharsis and of the Isle shall give mm-hmm. presents. The kings of Arabia and Saba shall bring gifts. All kings right. shall fall down before him. All nations shall do him service. And that's one of the propers for the Epiphany um, feast. But I was thinking about this. We could really use Epiphany, um, I think, you know, on a local level or, you know, in the Western Rite, we could really use this to kind of re-engage in, in our responsibility to do mission, missionary work. Mm. Mm. Um, and, yeah. and I think we should be thinking of this feast in that way. Um, you know, there are other themes that we can emphasize through this season, but, you know, we need to be preaching the gospel. We need to be um, light in the world. Right. And I, right. think, I think this feast is really, that really is the key theme of this feast in the Western Rite, and we should be picking up on that, using that to, you know, encourage us to be doing that work. You know, that's, that's really wonderful. I've never, I've never thought of that before, but, and you saying that, that makes me think that's just yet another sort of parallel between the Christmas cycle and the Pascha cycle, in that 
the season of Pentecost is, you know, primarily about going out into the world. It's the the gift of the Holy Spirit comes. Uh, well, first you have the the you know decree from Jesus at His ascension to go into all the world, and then the Holy Spirit comes to enliven the church, and then it's then it's mission time, um, mm-hmm. and that's sort of the the conclusion of that whole Pascha. Uh, Lenten and then Pascha cycle, and that makes a whole lot of sense to think of Epiphany in in sort of those terms. Well, yeah, the, the 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 three the three kings or the Magi were the first Gentile converts. I mean, they're the, hmm. the they're they're the beginning of the of the influx of the Gentiles into the kingdom of God. Right. I mean, they stand for right. they stand for these these men stand for. Um, the gospel going out into all the nations, and there's there's interesting traditions. You know, who knows that these these are not you know they may or not be true, but there's a tradition that Saint Thomas, of course, we we know that he went to India and to the east, um, but that he actually found the wise men and catechized them and 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 baptized them and brought them into the church, and that they became bishops and served. Um, mm. There's another interesting. Uh, development. Um, Saint Bede the Venerable in the mid 700s wrote, and um, really he's kind of the one responsible referring to the three, um, the three wise men, and he even gives them names. So there was a tradition that we knew their names, and their names were Caspar, Balthasar, mm-hmm. and Melchior. And um, you know, I uh, there's you know that wonderful uh, tradition in the West. I'm not sure if this is a thing in the East, but in the West uh, during House blessings, which uh, traditionally happen during Epiphany Tide, uh, you know the the priest writes a blessing in chalk over the uh, the doorpost, the front door, yes, including the the first letters of the names of all yes. three, yes, uh, so yes, yeah, so names of the wise men. That's not done in the East, um, to my knowledge. But on Epiphany, we bless chalk, which is an interesting thing to do. So we're there, we're in the middle of the service, we're blessing chalk, and this chalk is used. We go and we bless water just like they do in the East. And we, we go around to the homes every year and um, we, we go throughout the home and, and do a house blessing. But at the end of the blessing, we write on the door, as you said, it, with the chalk that was blessed. So we'll write 19, a little cross, C for Casper, cross, B for Balthazar, cross, M for Melchior, cross, two, zero. So, and there's a prayer that we say that the, that the, that the, the three wise men may you know, bless this home just as they came and visited Christ and blessed him with their, with their holy gifts. And it's, it's a great tradition. Um, and, and of course, of course, we believe these are saints in the church. I mean, they were believers in Christ. And I always love to talk to the kids when I do, do these house blessings and, um, about how one day we're going to, you know, in heaven, we're going to, we're going to see these gentlemen there, uh, decked out in some really exotic regalia. Um, <laughs> you know, and say these are these are the the three the three wise men. Um, it's going to be be great to meet them one day in heaven. That's that's wonderful. Um, yeah, after um, writing their initials on our our doorposts uh, all of our lives. Right. Yeah, that's that's pretty great. I I love that. Yeah. You know, you mentioned uh, the blessing of water also uh, during Epiphany, and this is I know this is a, a giant theme in the. In the Eastern Rite, the blessings of water associated with the baptism of Christ. Yes, and you know this is just one more aspect of that 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 universality of who Christ is and and who He's for. 
that you were talking about, Epiphany Tide, really, it, it makes sense to think of it as an evangelical opportunity, as as a way to uh, re-inspire us to take the gospel into the world as as the reality of the incarnation is meant for the whole world. It's it's sort of funny at Christmas we we do celebrate, you know, the there there is some news. Some people are hearing about that. There's the star that the the wise men see, obviously, and then there's the the angelic annunciation to the shepherds. But it was a it was a quiet uh, it was a it was a quiet thing mm-hmm. um, the mm-hmm. the nativity. But then in in Epiphany, the word kind of gets out. Yes, yes. There, there's this quiet feast, and and then and then we mark, we celebrate, we acknowledge the news spreading. Mm-hmm. the the universality of this quiet thing that was missed by most now they need to hear about it now they get to to see it they get they get to hear the father's voice from heaven they get mm-hmm. to uh see this extravagantly trimmed caravan of eastern sages you know right. carrying the news of what they've just seen yes. and uh and they get to they get to hear about this this miracle that was just wrought something that had never been done before the changing of water into wine Mm. So I I love I love Epiphany. It's you know, it's a great season with some really really um, clear thematic elements for us to sort of sink our teeth into and 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 hold on to and animate mm-hmm. us. Absolutely, no. It's a beautiful season, and as you said, it's this sort of closes out in a way. You alluded to this, and this is interesting. People get a little confused about when does Christmas really end? <laughs> and right. um, it's ambiguous, actually. It's not absolutely clear. Um, there are the 12 days of Christmas, and there's the octave of Christmas. So you've got the octave, and then you've got the 12 days. But really, and, and, and there's another way where Christmas goes all the way through to you know February 2nd. And um, and and that is um, what we call candle mass. We bless candles. I think they also bless candles in the Eastern Rite on that day. But um, this is the presentation in the temple, the purification of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the meeting. I mean, this feast, candle mass, it's got like four or five different titles and names. But we're still in a... As all great feasts should. Yes. We're still, we're still kind of in the spirit of the Christmas um, season all the way through February 2nd. I mean, some of our... You know, our Marian antiphons that we sing at the end of the office um, maintain through at from Advent all the way through February 2nd. So it becomes mm. a, a marker for that season. And um, so it is actually acknowledged in in our liturgics. That it is, oh, February yes. 2nd yeah. is sort of yeah. the close of this Christmas cycle. It is. It is. It is a marker. Yeah. And um in in some small in some small ways that's that is we do certain things from advent all the way through to february 2nd um mm. and, and and you mentioned the uh, the nook demetus earlier the song of simeon uh which we which we sing um every every evening right evening prayer but also i mean that's the play, that's where it comes from is is the the scene right. that we're acknowledging on on this feast day mm-hmm. and it you know it like you said it it has itself that that very universalizing uh theme to it it's it's a light to enlighten the gentiles right so it's a it's a perfect cap for and that, the christmas and, and epiphany season and that's why we and that's why we we bless candles on that day so we bless the candles for the whole year 
um, you know, on February 2nd because it's candle mass and, um, you know, Christmas, candle mass. Um, that's where we get that, those terms, those English terms for, and because he is a light to lighten the Gentiles and his light goes forth. So again, the themes of light carrying all the way Christmas epiphany through, um, February 2nd and, and the presentation, um, the purification of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So all these themes. Yeah. And that, that passage is, is one of the, the primary passages for that feast, um, as well, the Nunc Dominus. So, um, yeah. That's wonderful. I love it. You could even, you know, I mean, like people say, um, you know, priests are always chatting about when to take the Christmas decorations down from the church. And, um, you know, right. we, we have a lot of live greenery, so we can't, it doesn't always last. But in theory, you know, if it lasted, sometimes we'll keep our stuff up to February 2nd. Hmm. Or certain things will keep up that I like long. that. So. Yeah. Maybe, maybe pick, pick one or two special things at least to see if you can. Yeah. Keep up just to visually remind yourself that uh, we're we're still in that nativity. Yeah, we cycle. have you know That's we have the, the fulcrum. We have certain things that kind of la- they'll last that long, and so we'll, we'll keep them up all the way to February second. And it gives the people a sense they come into the church, and the wreath is still on the door. Certain things. Um, my wife and I went and grabbed a sandwich today, um, and they were playing I don't know some obnoxious you know, music, which was afflicting my auditory canals. And I asked, <laughs> I asked the guy there, um, we were only two there. I said, uh, why aren't you playing Christmas music? Don't you, don't you have any Christmas music? And he says, I'm tired of that. <laughs> I said, it's just a couple of days. We're just into Christmas. So I had to give him, all, uh, no. I had to give him a whole lesson into <laughs> the, you know, when Christmas actually started. I'm not sure he appreciated it, but I tried. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I was, taking a walk through my neighborhood today and, and saw one of my neighbors, uh, who I don't know, uh, t- dragging their, their tree out to the, the curb. And it took, uh, it took everything in me not to say, Hey, why, why are you taking your tree down? Christmas just started. <laughs> uh, but I, I restrained myself. That's, uh, I don't, I don't have much, uh, that, that likens me to my patron, St. Stephen, mm-hmm. uh, other than I can talk for a really long time about history and theology <laughs> and make people want to throw rocks at me. That's about the only resemblance yeah. I have. So um, <clears throat> I'm trying to work on the being filled with the Holy Spirit part. Right. But, um, well, I you know, this is, I, I think me, you, and anyone else is justified in, in feeling like this is just their favorite time of year, liturgically, festively, aesthetically, um, traditionally, there's just so much wonderful stuff to appreciate through the seasons of Advent and Christmas tide and Epiphany tide. And, uh, I I hope that our conversation has been, uh, enlightening to, uh, you know, maybe given some context to, uh, to our listeners who who maybe haven't thought of it all together, pieced together like Mm -hmm. that. But, um, you know, as, as you were saying, after four or five or more years of, of faithfully living through this liturgically, it does start to embed itself in your heart and your soul. And it, 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 you realize how it is all pieced together very intentionally, um, over, over the centuries, you know, more pieces have, have come into being, have fallen into place. Like you said, the different feasts have, come about at different times, but eventually the church, uh, in its Western, uh, venerable Western tradition has fit them all together and made it a very organic, lovely time of the year. So I hope, uh, 
I hope our listeners have either experienced that for themselves or may get to in the future um, through through the Western liturgics and tradition. And if not, um, if if you know we have listeners who are faithfully uh, praying and living their Eastern rite orthodoxy, um, that's wonderful too. And I hope that they uh, have have a little more knowledge and context for for what their brothers and sisters in the in the Western rite are are living and experiencing. Well, this has been fun to, to talk about these things, especially sort of while we're going through them and experiencing them uh, this year. So I appreciate you, uh, you know, uh, taking the initiative to have this conversation. Absolutely. And thank you for, for joining me. I really appreciate it. I know that you uh, you have a mass to uh, prepare for. So uh, prayers, prayers for that. And uh, I hope you have a wonderful day. Uh, remainder of your Christmas tide and a blessed epiphany tide. You too, Stephen. God bless you and we'll talk soon.